yourself. If you've got your electronic device or your Bible, let's hold them up. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand the powerful Word of God. can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you've already said you love your neighbor, so just reach over there and, and uh, high-five them, fist pound, whatever you need to do. And if you don't have somebody, just do yourself. That's fine, too. Frontline. Here we go. Featured a two-hour special called Faith and Doubt at Ground Zero. The whole aim of the, of the program was to explore the questions that arose in September 11th and how they tied into God. Is he there? Why didn't he stop it? What does the disaster say about God's character? Here's a few questions that came from the, comment, the, the documentary itself. If there is a God, what and why is this happening? How could God be in the horror of what I saw? What kind of God is this? How can you believe in such a God? From a written transcript, I want to quote verbatim some of the responses. One woman who lost her husband said, I couldn't believe that this God that I'd talked to in, all, in my own way for 35 years turned this loving man into bones. And now I can't bring myself to speak to him anymore because I feel so abandoned. Someone else said, if people can kill for God in this way, this is the best reason never to believe in God. A security guard who had lost several friends, he said, I think God could have just ended this all. That's why I feel strongly that I'm losing respect for him. I know there's a trinity. I believe in the son, but the father I'm having a rough time dealing with. I didn't have any love for God the weeks that followed September 11. It was really hatred. I can't accept this unless I can have an answer as to why it all occurred. It was too barbaric the way the lives were taken. That wasn't mercy. So I looked at God not now I look at God now as a barbarian and I probably will and it's a sad situation. I think I'm a good Christian, but I have a different view and image of him now and I can't replace it with the old image. An Episcopal priest said, After September 11th, the face of God was a blank slate for me. God couldn't be counted on in any way. I thought uh, God could be counted on. That's what I felt as I stood on ground zero. God seemed absent. And it was frightening because the attributes that I had depended upon had all been stripped away. And I was left with nothing but that thing we call faith. But faith in what? I wasn't sure. A rabbinical student said, our anthems are basically hymns to this majestic God, but September 11th killed that God for me because there was no way uh, to have a God who understood reward and punishment, fair or unfair. There was a God on September 11th who didn't even mind that God's own name could be used as the final prayer of a suicide hijacker as he plowed into a building. We needed, and I know I needed, to have another God to turn it to at that moment, or there was going to be no God. A conservative rabbi said, since September 11th, this for me 
that there's something out there and that I'm here no longer meant anything because every time I thought there was something out there, it turns into inevitably something opposed to me, something I have to define myself against. A different rabbi, an orthodox rabbi, railed against the idea of God's sovereignty. He said, you can believe if you want to that God has a, that, that God has a plan in everything, but this is not the God he worships. Some of them literally cursed God on air. And in effect, most of them expressed an opinion, agreed with those who cursed God. And in the entire two-hour program, not one person affirmed that God is both sovereign and good. In other words, the God of Scripture was completely ignored by the writers of that program. I didn't have those sentiments that day. I don't think you did either. But 9-11 changed everybody. You might have found yourself assessing what direction God would be taking you in, especially in your life. You might have prayed, Lord Jesus, I love you, and I, more than anything else, I want to please you. Lord, I'm, I'm doing what you want. Am I doing what you want me to do? We began to ask questions. Is there anything else you want me to do? Because if there is, if you want to change my direction, I need you to tell me. All of us have moments when we want to hear God's voice or receive some definite sign regarding a relationship, a business decision, a career choice, or a major expenditure. We all want God's input. Today's remembrance in New York at Ground Zero will have no spiritual presence, will have no first responders present, We'll have no firemen, policemen present. It'll just be politicians saying what politicians say. And the tragedy of that is that one of the first responders was a Catholic priest whose church was just near the Twin Towers. And when he saw what was happening, he rushed from the church and began to take confessions of all the firemen as they ran by him to run up into the Twin Towers. Exhausted. Exhausted after hours and hours and hours of staying and praying and helping where he could. But yet the spiritual dimension from our country ten years later is out the window. That's why in the midst of the rubble, when they uncovered the rubble and they found that cross standing there, and it was standing. It wasn't laying down. It was standing up. They've, in fact, they've made a monument with that, those steel beams. They were cut off in the form of a cross. It's an amazing story. It comes back to some of our decisions. Because our decisions that we make really do matter. Amen? They really do. We make decisions every day. They can either turn us around <laughs> and send us in the right direction or we can just keep going in the wrong direction. My children growing up, they would always get the lecture. Every day is full of choices and every choice has a consequence, both good or bad. Make good choices today, I would say to them. And then after school, I would ask them, did you make a new friend today? And they would always tell me, no, Dad, I didn't make any new friends today. 
I said, well, you know what? Just look around you. There's got to be somebody that's sitting by themselves that nobody will talk to. Why don't you be the one that goes and talks to them? How about at your office tomorrow? Is there anybody at your office that nobody hangs out with, nobody talks to? Why don't you go do that? Why don't you go be the arms and the ears and the eyes and the mouth of Jesus? Put a smile on your face. Take a cup of coffee over to him and say, I'd like to get to know you better. That's the God I know. And the more we do that, the, more, the better it is. I love that, the lady that took the tile to the fence in New York and uh, hung it right up there. We'll never forget. Will you? No, I won't. Just like I'm never going to forget this sacrifice. Ever. Ever. I can't forget this. If I forget it, I've lost. His death was in vain if I forget it. Amen? So we can't, we can't do that. We've got to let God be in our decisions. And we face many questions. Should I marry? Who should I marry? Should it be Joe, Jake, or Susan? <laughs> We'd really like him to tell us. Should I go to college? OU, OSU, Tulsa, NSU? Surprised that all of you didn't shout out, Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Jeff will be back there shaking his head. OSU, OSU. And not the Oklahoma OSU. I've been offered a new job. Should I take it? Or should I hold on to where I am? We've got two kids. We're thinking about a third. Should we have another one? Maybe we ought to adopt. Is God calling me to the mission field? How can I be sure? I mean, there's mission organizations that I've been in contact with, and they're interested in me. How, which one do I choose? One of the joys of being a pastor is that I get to occasionally meet with high school students who are getting ready to go to college but need recommendation letters written. Those are fun. Because I, I can find out real fast if they have any idea what they're doing. <laughs> and you ask them, well, what are your plans? Well, I don't know. So I write them a glaring, I mean a flowing and just a powerful recommendation letter. Well, give me some idea what you're going to do. Well, I don't know. Man, that's hard to come up with a, whew, you need to have this kid in your class. <laughs> you know. But then there's some that come in, boy, they're dead set. They know exactly where they want to go. No, those are easy. But it's also one of the most fun parts of what I, I get to do. And once those turn. Uh, those applications are turned in, then it's nail-biting time. And you send them out to several colleges and you're hoping for the best. You, the one you really want to go to, you probably you don't think you're going to hear from them. And you'll probably hear from one you don't really want to go to. But if the one you want to go to, you, they, they say yes, then you have to worry about whether you can afford to go there. Oh, it's just one thing after another. One thing after another. The real essence of it is it's God's problem really not our problem do you believe that it's really God's problem God, it's God's responsibility to direct me where I'm supposed to go my job is to listen just listen but we are in the business where we try to dictate to God what he's supposed to do God's saying clearly in our hearts and everything around us we need to be over here when in essence what do we do well no 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 no, no. I, I, I'm sure that ain't what you're telling me like the old farmer, hot, I mean, 112 degrees and plowing out in the field. And, it, oh, man, he's about to go under. 
He looks up, he stops for a minute, wipes his brow, and he's looking up in the sky, and he sees the clouds form the letters GPC. And he just knew it meant go preach Christ. Sold the farm. He was gone to Bible college. Told the wife, we're heading down to Dallas to go to school. <laughs> Gets down there, struggles. Oh, my goodness, struggles. Barely make his grades. Can't really, he just doesn't have a heart for it. So the dean of students is meeting with him, and he says, hey, what caused you to come here in the first place? He said, well, I was out. It was a hot summer afternoon. I was plowing, and all of a sudden, I looked up in the sky, and the letters GPC formed in the clouds. I knew that meant to go preach Christ. He said, well, sir, I, maybe it's an interpretation issue. Maybe God was telling you to go plow corn. See, that's sometimes we try to tell God what he's telling us to do. Well, we need to sit back and relax. Because really, in essence, most of us would like for someone else to make a decision for us. And that's why we're just saying, well, God, you tell me what to do and I'll go do it. And then when he tells you, <laughs> oh, mercy. Those heading to work that day in the Twin Towers on 9-11-2001, I believe they were doing God's will for their life at that moment. They were going to work. People ask me all the time, preacher, what's God's will for my life? I said, what are you doing right now? What are you doing right now? Sometimes we're in, there's different seasons in our lives, right? Sometimes we're working. Sometimes we're not working. Sometimes we're in trouble. Sometimes we're not in trouble. Sometimes we're retired and our resources are more limited than they were while we were working. It's amazing. But when God touches us, we should respond to what he's touching us to do. God wants you to know his will more than you want to know it. He takes personal responsibility to see that we discover his will in our life. He loved us so much that he wanted his will to be done in our lives that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. That's the first step. Once you get to there, then you can begin to listen better. Once you get there, it's easier to listen. It's ultimately God's problem, not ours. Because he's, he's got to continue to bring the vision. He's got to continue to bring the purpose in front of us. We then need to be obedient. Be obedient. Listen to the Lord. He can put, put you exactly where he wants you to be. He can arrange all the details years in advance. He can open doors that seem shut tight. He can remove any obstacle that stands in your way. He can take your choices and fit them into his plan so that you end up at the right place at just the right time. He can even take your mistakes and bring good out of them. He can take tragedy and use it for your good and his glory. Now, I don't know how in the world... Union scoring 41 points and we scoring only 19 is going to work out in God's plan. But it's going to. It's going to. I just, once again, I have to make sure that Coach Bryant and Coach Brad don't have any sharp objects in their pocket during the ball game. I was sitting on the bench because I was, my feet were hurting and I was tired and I looked over and they were sitting there with me. <laughs> no. Not quite. But how does how do you look? How do you find good? How does Peyton Manning, premier quarterback in the NFL, how does Peyton Manning suffer three neck surgeries 
and all of a sudden he can't play anymore. At least this year. Maybe never. Some commentators are writing him off as though this is the end of his career. Wow, he just signed a new contractor. They're only going to pay him $18 million a year. I know he's going to struggle. I want to give you four verses to think about. In Proverbs 16, 9, we read it earlier. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. I really want you to underline in that verse the word determines. If you have your Bibles, turn to these four verses. They're, they're all in Proverbs, so you won't have to go very far. Proverbs 16, 9. And underline that word determines. Determines. God directs our steps. It's true in Proverbs 3, 6. It's proven, it's, it's true in this verse. It's a very strong word that speaks of God's control of every detail in the universe. That word determines. Perhaps you've heard it said, man purposes, but God disposes. You can make all your plans. In fact, you can have your life mapped out step by step. But in the end, God will determine every step that you and I take. Second verse is Proverbs 16, 33. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Most of us don't understand the concept of casting lots. In the Old Testament, the Jews often used that as a method to determine God's will. It sometimes involved using different colored balls or rocks, mixing them together, and then seeing which one fell out of the bag first. In that sense, casting lots is like rolling dice. It appears to be a random act of, cho of chance, but God is behind those colored stones. That's why they did it. He determines which one falls out of the bag first. So life is full of no accidents, no random events, nothing called luck. God allows things to happen so that we can grow from them. Both good and bad, by the way. I've often prayed, Lord, I'd love to have millions of dollars. But you know what? If I had millions of dollars, I'd probably get greedy and become a hoarder. And I wouldn't give like I give now. Because I would have everything materially that I needed, so I would just retreat and be, be hunky-dory. If you want to come visit, well, I might let you step into my kingdom. <clears throat> right? That's why he probably won't ever let me have millions of dollars. Because I probably wouldn't manage it well. But I don't know about you. What's he given you? How about Proverbs 19.21? Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. A paraphrase of that would be, you can make all the plans you like, but God gets the last word. A dear friend told me one time, you'll know you're growing and maturing when you don't have to have the last word. And that's been so true. It's been so true. Some translations say that God's purpose shall stand. Most of our plans don't stand. When God determines to do something, it's going to happen. I mean, you can take that to the bank. If he said it, I believe it, and that should settle it. Amen? It's really that simple, isn't it? If he said it, you believe it, let's settle it. That way you don't have to fret over it. <laughs> it's God's business. 
Some people write down long-range plans, 10-year plans and goals and personal objectives. And none of that's wrong. I mean, that's great. But always seek God as you do that. As you make your decisions, seek God as you make those decisions. We don't know why things happen the way they happen, do we? We don't. Maybe there's another job that we wanted that we really are qualified for. I mean, I'm, I'm better than the person doing it right now. I can tell you. Just ask me. <laughs> and we don't get it. Somebody else gets it that's of a lesser ability than I am. And yet, why am I where I am? Well, it's okay. God has a reason. I'll just stay right here. And I'll just keep doing what God's called me to do. And we need to be that way. Proverbs 20, 24. A man's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his own way? There's something hidden in the Hebrew text here that you wouldn't know simply from reading the English translation. The word means man's, or the, the word translated man's in that first phrase comes from the Hebrew word gibor, which refers to a mighty warrior, a ruler, or a potentate. Solomon means to say that even the steps of a mighty man are ordained by God. The word anyone in the second phrase comes from the Hebrew word uh, Adam, which is the generic word for mankind. And it's, it, it really means if God directs the steps of the mighty, he can then, an ordinary man, direct those as well. Only God sees the big picture. We don't. We'll never know. Where God, in God's plan, where 9-11 fit, we'll never know. But I don't have to know. What I have to know is, is that he still loves us and cares for us. And he's there in the midst of tragedy more than we will ever want to see. The first rule of the spiritual life, he's God and we're not. He's God and we're not. Those four verses led me to this first rule of spiritual life. The faster we understand that, the better it becomes. We realize that God is God and we're not. We need to take our sweatshirts that have a big G in the middle, that we're God, rip it off because we're not. <laughs> we're on the throne. We need to get off and let him back on. Things will work better. They'll work a lot better. Let me give you four simple principles this morning to help as we seek God's will. Number one, use all your intelligence to make wise decisions. Make, use all your intelligence to make wise decisions. Proverbs 3, 5 says, lean not on your own understanding. You can be as smart as you want to be. Dr. C.C. C. Crawford, double Ph.D. in philosophy and New Testament, Dallas Christian College, 80 years old, sitting in his philosophy class, and he looked up at us one day and he said, boys... There's just four of us in the class. He said, boys, all of you are going to be preachers. He said, I want to encourage you to do one thing. Don't get so smart that you can't talk to people. <laughs> That's the best advice I've ever heard. You can have all the knowledge you want. We had a youth minister some few years ago here, and he was, I'll tell you, that guy was intelligent. He was smarter, smarter than I could ever hope to be. But you could talk to him for 30 minutes and then leave the conversation and go, what did we just say? He was on a mission trip down to uh, El Paso, Juarez. And everybody in the van was glad when the stops came. 
because everything he would talk about was so far over the head of everybody else they couldn't stay up with him. But man, he sounded smart. Don't get so smart you can't talk to people. Great advice. Great advice. Principle number two, since you can't know the future, you'll rarely have 100% certainty about most decisions. I don't think anybody can hit 100% for certainty on decisions they make. 95 maybe, but 100, nah, that's, that's a tough one. But we've got to have good advice, and we've got to find people who can help us. If you're facing a life-changing decision, potential marriage, cross-country move, a new career with which college to attend, whether or not to begin chemotherapy, you, you'd like to know in advance beyond any doubt that you're doing what God wants you to do. All too often that leaves us paralyzed by an inability to make up our minds. Some decisions are so important that they can't be left to chance. The popular song says, when in doubt, don't. If you aren't sure about the new job, don't take it. Don't make the move. Don't just say yes. Don't make any decision unless you feel at peace and harmony and calm between you and the Lord. He'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. Did Noah know all about the, the flood? But he built a boat in the middle of nowhere. Did Abraham have a road map? <laughs> he just left the Ur of the Chaldeans and took his family and off they went. Did Moses understand what it meant to lead God's people out of Egypt? No, but he said yes to the Lord, finally. Did Joshua know how the walls were going to come tumbling down? March around for seven days, and on the seventh day, blow the trumpets, and the walls will come tumbling down. Veggie Tales. Josh and the big wall. If you haven't watched it, watch it. And the foreign legion guy stands on the, on the walls of Jerusalem. He looks down, and Larry the Cucumber comes up, and he goes, Hey, Pickel, what are you doing? Because <laughs> that's all they thought was going, What are you doing? Just marching around. They blow the horn, and the walls come tumbling down. You got it. They believed. Did Gideon fully grasp God's plan to defeat the Midianites? No. He doubted it from the very beginning, but God delivered his people anyway. Did young David have a clue of what was to come when Samuel said to Jesse, This is the one? Well, I don't think he did, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon him anyway. Did Jehoshaphat know how God was going to defeat the Ammonites? No, but he put the singers at the front of the army and sent them out to battle anyway. Oh, there's hundreds of stories that we could read like this. Did the three Hebrew children know how they would be delivered? Was, told, was Daniel totally sure the lions would welcome him drop, as he dropped in on them? Did Peter know how he would walk on water? Did Paul know what would happen when he finally got to Rome? And the answer, of course, is no. Life, a life of faith means living with uncertainty even in the midst of doing God's will. And that's really the whole point of Hebrews chapter 11, isn't it? The Hall of Fame of Faith. Those great men and women, they didn't know the future, but they trusted God anyway. And sometimes they did it in the face of tremendous personal suffering. It's, it's rarely that God will give you that 100% certainty, but you need to talk to Him. 
Principle number three, God wants guidable people who will trust him with the details of life. Guidable people look to God and not to themselves. Teachers, parents, coaches, they all look for students and players and children who are teachable. They may not have the greatest athletic ability, but if they're teachable, I can help them get better than where they are today. But if they think they've arrived, ha, you can't teach them a thing. You've got coworkers like that, don't you? They think they're better than the people above them that are making the, the decision. Well, if you're so smart, why are you here and they're there? And somewhere along the line, they weren't teachable. Never, ever get a place in your life where you're not teachable. Always be open to the teaching that God can bring to you. Because he can do it. I remember when I first started preaching, I was 16, preparing for my first sermon. The preacher wanted me to preach on a Sunday night. It was preacher boy night, and there's four of us going to preach. And uh, I think he was safe in assuming that we'd all preach about seven minutes and be done. But I prepared, prepared, prepared. I had 22 minutes down to a T. Man, I was ready to roll. I ran into his office. I pulled up my Bible. I said, man, you've got to see this, as if he hadn't read it before. You know what he did? He got out from behind his desk, and he ran around the front of the desk, and he sat on his desk. He said, show me. Show me. Like he was so open and excited, I was going to tell him some spiritual nugget of truth. He had read it a million times. But his enthusiasm to want to be teached by some kid who was taught by some kid who was 16. Wow. He could have just sat back and said, yeah, 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 whatever. I've met too many people who've been Christians so many times, so long in their life, but they don't want to hear the word of God anymore. They, oh, they, I, I read that before. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I've got, oh, yeah, 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 I've heard that. Oh, yeah, 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 I've read. I read through the Bible one time back in 1942. That's all I need. Might have changed a little bit. You have. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're like that sometimes. We just get arrogant about things, and we think that we're large and in charge when God is really the one that's in charge. But be guidable. Be teachable. And then the fourth principle is when time comes, make the best decision you can and leave the results to God. Those people going into that building to work that morning had no idea. You've heard the stories where people said they were late for some reason and didn't make it to the office. And they're grateful that they didn't make it to the office. But then there's those people that were there. I heard this week phone calls from loved ones who were in the building as it was burning calling their loved ones to tell them for the last time that they loved them. Was it God's will that they died in that fire? I'll never know. I'll never know, like I said, what God's purpose and plan would be on that day. I don't think he had a plan for that to happen, but I do know he has a plan afterwards. That was pure evil that caused that tragedy at 9-11. And it's the pure evil that your enemy and my enemy brings to us on a daily basis. We don't have a Twin Towers experience very often. We just simply have chocolate pie that passes in front of us. Or we have a thinly clad, beautiful woman walk in front of a man. Or we have a muscled up guy that just walks in front of you women. See, Satan's crafty, isn't he? 
His 9-11 moments can take on different forms and fashions. Will you be ready when it's time? Ran across this great quote. God has enough trouble getting us to do his will without making it hard to find. Dallas Willard is a great author and conference speaker. And he was speaking at a conference that a preacher attended. Preacher met him, chatted for a while, and the conference was over. This preacher decided to write and to thank him for his messages that he preached at that conference. And to his surprise, he got a nice letter back thanking him and led him to another occasion to correspond uh, with him. Uh, it wasn't not, not a lot of letters, just a few here and there. But there came a time in this pastor's life when he was going through a very difficult time in his ministry. People were unhappy about this or that. People taking uh, sniping remarks at each other and everything the preacher tried seemed to be stymied by criticism within the church. And at length, he decided to go away for a personal retreat. And while he was on the retreat, he resolved to write to Dallas Willard that he'd met at this conference. Started to write the letter and I guess his whole heart got into it because he wrote page after page after page after page. Folded it, put it in an envelope, put, put postage on it, went to the mailbox, dropped it in. Then he said, what did I just do? <laughs> if I tried to find a way he could get that letter back, and there wasn't any way. Days passed, weeks passed. Then one day a letter comes from Dallas Willard. It came in a very thin envelope. He opened it up. It was only one page in response to his volumes that he sent. And the letter only had two sentences, and it read like this. Dear friend, thank you for writing. I think you should get up every day and do whatever you believe God wants you to do and not worry so much about what other people think. In Christ, Dallas Willard. Pastor smiled when he read that story because it made him understand. And it was great advice because you see what's important is we be concerned about what God wants, not what other people want. It's important that we understand and want what God wants us to do, not what other people want us to do. It's what God thinks, not what other people think. And the sooner we get there, the sooner we get there, the better it is. So whatever 9-11 tragedy comes into your life, realize and remember that there is a God of heaven that loves you and cares about you and wants to be in you and wants to work through you and has a purpose for you if you will allow him to do so. Do we have another video, Jeff? Okay. As we get ready to close this morning, we had a possible another video, but uh, it didn't get here today. Life is a mysterious journey. It's full of unexpected twists and turns. The path is full of mystery. No one can say for sure what's around the next bend. It may be a smooth road through a lovely valley, or we may discover that the bridge has been washed out, and we've got to find a way to get around that deep river. But often the road will seem to disappear or it may suddenly seem to go in three different directions and 
We don't know which way to go, but there is one who does. There's one who does. And whatever you do in life, remember that Jesus came to bring hope to you and to me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for the opportunity we've had to just just visit about you and the things that you want to do in our lives. And Father, there's times when we get frustrated and we get uh, ahead of you in our decision-making. God, would we be uh, careful to include you? Would we be careful to seek you in every decision we need to make? And if we don't get a firm peace within us about that, then maybe we need to either pray longer or not do what we're thinking about doing. And God, it's hard when we're young because we're so full of life and so full of dreams and so full of all those things that would cause us to want to have those visions and dreams and goals and drives that we sometimes forget to stop and thank you and seek you. And then we get older and we think, shoot, I've been around here a long time and I know enough to, to, to do what I need to do. And we get ahead of you, kind of push you aside. God, there may be somebody here today that's experiencing a 9-11 tragedy in their life right now. It seems like you have disappeared from the scene, that you're not available. And yet, Lord, in Isaiah 59, you tell us that your ear is not so dull you can't hear, your hand not so short it can't reach us, but our iniquities, our sins have separated us from you. So God, I'd pray today in the midst of whatever tragedy they face and are facing or will face, that they'll seek your face. And God, your promise is that you'll come and you'll be with us. So Lord, we thank you for that promise. We thank you for that hope. And we do have hope that if we walk into a building today and it's destroyed and, we're, and our life is lost, we can rejoice. Because our hope is not here, our hope is with you and in you. So if there's anybody here today, Father, that needs to be touched and make a decision, would you do that in Jesus' name? Amen.